0: Hello, and welcome to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and today we've got a packed show for you. Our guest is Dr. Chris Pearson, founder and CEO of Black Cloak, a cybersecurity firm specializing in ultra-high net worth individuals, C-suite executives, and family offices. We're going to be talking about the five things you can do to make sure your cybersecurity is up to snuff for your practice. Dr. Pearson is the founder and CEO of Black Cloak, which specializes in protecting its customers from financial loss, cybercrime, hacking, reputational damage, privacy exposure, and identity theft. Dr. Pearson serves on the Department of Homeland Security's Data Privacy Committee, DHS's Cybersecurity Subcommittee, as a distinguished fellow of the Poneman Institute. Chris has been fighting cybercrime for over 20 years, with DHS as President of the FBI's Arizona InfraGuard, and in other roles as Chief Information Security Officer for various financial companies. Chris was a founding executive of ViewPost, a fintech payments company serving as their CISO and general counsel, and was also the first chief privacy officer, senior vice president of the Royal Bank of Scotland's U.S. operations, leading its privacy and data protection program. Chris was also a corporate attorney for Lewis and Roca, where he established its cybersecurity practice representing companies who were hacked and fell victim to data breaches. Chris is a globally recognized keynote speaker and cybersecurity thought leader, board advisor for startups, and is frequently quoted by the media on cybersecurity and privacy. Chris, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you so much. I know cybersecurity in most people's minds can encompass a wide range of elements of keeping networks and digital communications safe from bad actors in general. What specific type of dangers does your firm focus on for advisors and executives you work with?
1: Well, I mean, you know, when we talk about these things, um, uh, really, it's about protecting the entire sphere. So protecting those offices, protecting the family offices, protecting the advisors, and ultimately protecting the end client. The horror stories involve many different things, right? We've seen different things in terms of account takeovers, business email compromise, where actual physical currency, money has moved hands, changed hands, and actually made its way to uh, to other accounts around the globe, uh, funding all sorts of things. Uh, we've had ransomware. Uh, massively in the news, causing massive uh, issues in terms of different cities and states and towns and even companies. Some of the largest companies out there have had several hundred million dollars of losses in terms of ransomware. Uh, So we see all these different things happening both in the corporate world but also making themselves uh, known in the small business world and the accounting and finance world and migrating into the homes of uh, high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals. Uh, this is, these, these risks are going to continue. They're going to continue with geopolitical issues that are happening around the world. Uh, they're going to happen and continue to happen in increasing numbers. Right now, cybercrime, it's expected to be $6 trillion by 2021 in terms of cybercrime losses. So it's only going to get worse. Uh, the solutions are there. Um, They're definitely there in terms of what we can do to protect ourselves. And hopefully right today with you on this podcast, we're hopefully able to educate the audience and get uh, much more knowledge out there in terms of what the risks are, what some of the controls are and how those things can be uh, how those things can be solved. That's what we're here for. Now, the the stuff you mentioned typically happens to, to
0: governments and municipalities, big companies like Sony having their email account hacked and opened like a can of sardines and the content splayed all over the Internet. But how much danger is the average small business in how much risk is there really in having a small anonymous say an advisory firm subject of a professional Foreign hack.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, right now there really are no differences between them. So it used to be that nation states only went ahead and attacked government agencies, but that migrated probably about 10 years ago into the corporate landscape. Uh, countries actually taking the intellectual property from large companies, aerospace and defense, and other companies, so that they could get jumps ahead in terms of their technology, or nation states getting around different sanctions by actually hacking uh, large corporations for. Uh, the purposes of gaining money. Uh, what we've actually seen is that those cybercrime risks, those nation state and intellectual property risks have migrated into you know, really the blend of nation states and cybercriminals uh, have become much more uh, in alliance and partners on this. And what we've seen is, is that those have migrated into small businesses. So many of the different ransomware events that have happened that have occurred at small businesses and in this space are actually perpetrated by Nation states or nation state and back to hackers. Uh, So at the end of the day, the nation state is still able to get in money. A lot of the exit nodes, which really you know, once a uh, ransomware event happens, uh, Bitcoin is then the popular popular means of uh, paying for that ransom those exit nodes for where the Bitcoin payments actually go out has been traced to certain different countries. So it's all a big vicious circle in terms of what we're seeing in terms of cybersecurity landscape. And and Black Cloak is there. I mean, we are there to go ahead and protect our clients, both the high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals, the family offices, and those corporate executives uh, for the companies in their personal lives against hacking risks, reputational risks and those are their personal and private moment exposure risks uh, that they have.
0: So the risk really is real. There is something out there that you have to be aware of, and you have to be more aware of your surroundings in order to track down its source. Even something relatively minor could spiral into something much more meaningful, even for a very contained type of business, correct?
1: Absolutely. I mean, when you take a look at it, you're thinking about financial risks, so, something where companies can actually go out of business, reputational risks. So, just the mere fact of who your customers are, who your clients are, or the private communications uh, between yourselves and those clients, as well as, right, really more the individualized risks of uh, personal private moments, um, as well as extortion risks and ransomware risks. I mean, these are things that can impact every single client, every single business, no matter how big or small they are the motives right the mo the modus operandi for these attacks whether it be for nation state secrets might not apply necessarily to this audience but the financial definitely does and if they're able to go ahead if the cyber criminals are able to get fifty thousand a hundred thousand three hundred thousand three million dollars out of small firms or get involved in that flow of information and data and financial data I'll be able to do so so this is one of those where you can't say, oh, we're a small company, it doesn't apply to us. Well, all the different items that have been in the news recently have actually shown a light on that.
0: Uh, it sounds terribly scary. Typically in the past, we have done countdown shows to help express some of the, uh, the major points of a, of a topic we're talking about. And I think that's a great way to present the different categories and levels of threat and risk that an advisory practice like our listeners have would actually face. So I thought we'd get started and review the top five risks to cybersecurity, and we'll discuss how you reinforce or fix them as we go along.
1: Sounds great.
0: Number five, malware, ransomware, and phishing. Boy, those sound scary. How do those things work and what's involved in protecting yourself against them?
1: Yeah, that you know, look, and let's break it down. Let's break it down so that everyone can walk away with something that they understand. So in terms of malware, we're talking about viruses, Trojans. Worms, remote access Trojans. We're talking about bad things that are on your computer that either take over your computer, take over your data. That's what we're really talking about when we talk about malware. In terms of ransomware, we are talking about malware that gets on your computer and it actually encrypts your computer, all your files, your computer. Actually, the same thing applies to servers, but let's just stick with computers because they're easy to discuss. So it actually encrypts all of your files there and it holds it for ransom. If you pay the ransom, usually via Bitcoin, then you're, you will get a decryption key and can go ahead and decrypt the files that are on your computer. So that's ransomware. Phishing, phishing, is something that we should all know by this point in time. Phishing is, about 94% of the time, it's the number one way into a company or into a person's life. And that is very simply this sending an email from the bad guy to you, and you interact with it in some form or fashion. What does that mean? You click on a link, you click on a download, and when you do that, either A, malware will jump onto your computer, B, ransomware will actually go ahead and start encrypting your computer, or C, you'll be brought to some type of a page that has a login, and you'll be asked to, hey, Your computer service is going out of support. You have to go ahead and change your credentials for Microsoft Office or something. And it will ask you or prompt you to put in your credentials. For persons that are in the finance world, it may be some third-party, very popular software that you use. And what the bad guys are really after is your credentials to get in there so they can attack and target your clients. So that's malware, right? Something bad that's on your computer is either uh, you know deleting data, taking data stealing data affecting your computer in some form or fashion ransomware where your computer is actually the files on your computer are being encrypted and you have to pay to get them decrypted or phishing, which is a way to perpetrate you know malware and ransomware and all other sorts of attacks by getting your credentials or actually having you literally click on the malware and implement it. so those are kind of the big I mean that is the one category of bad things on your computer and that's where we start with today's discussion.
0: Those all sound very scary and and I have lots of questions, but really the big question is how do you stop it? How do you fix it?
1: Yeah, so I mean, this is where you know you have to be in protection mode and you have to be in recovery mode. So let's talk about protection. So Antivirus software, or software that is really what is considered beyond antivirus. This is software that is artificial intelligence and behavioral based. These are going to be the easiest tools that everyone can immediately implement. Especially antivirus, right? Easily available. If you have a small office, family office, you're able to implement this pretty easy. Not, you know, not going to reach 100% perfection with it because this is more of a small office, home office, individual consumer. Uh, type of protection, but much better than having nothing. So you're going to want to have some type of endpoint protection software, antivirus software on your device. And I want to pause there and say this, your device includes Macs. Macs are not impervious to malware, uh, quite the opposite. So antivirus solutions on all devices, all computers, all servers. That's the protection part. The following part is the recovery part. The only way to actually really be sure that if and when ransomware hits, that you're able to continue your business is to have a backup. So that's your recovery. Making sure you have a good backup of all of your data, all of your documents, everything that you need to survive. That can be local, can be cloud-based. It doesn't matter. Just having some point of having some type of backup there is what you need. That those really are the ways to solve the malware, ransomware conundrum by having endpoint protection and backup the way to solve phishing is really simply not to be duped not to be fooled not to click
0: so really it's a software factor and it's a training factor and it's making sure that you're careful and cautious and you really follow the rules backup has been a rule since computers started because we all know nothing is 100 percent. so not having backup at this stage of the game that's that's really stone age stuff (laughs) you'd be surprised (laughs) I have one question though, even if you have the backup and say your backup is once a week and your ransomware notice hits the end of the week and locks you up and then you pay the ransom and what's your guarantee that you're going to get them back after you've paid?
1: So it's an interesting question. Um, There is no guarantee that you're going to get it back. So uh, there have been some cases where decryption uh, uh, decryption codes have been sent but they are not effective. Either they don't work, or right, they're just right. They're just fake. So that's one situation. Another situation is where you actually get a decryption key, and this happened with one specific variant of ransomware, and the decryption program does not work as good as it should. And so, literally, the bad guys spent more times on more time on the encryption part of it um, than they did on the decryption. Um, so you're kind of left, uh, left, uh, hanging and, and that those two cases do happen quite often. So you can't necessarily be sure that you're going to get it back. The only way to make sure that you actually will be able to recover is backup, backup and backup.
0: So that needs to be really frequent then. Cause even if everything works out perfectly, that last week worth of stuff wasn't on there yet. <laughs> if you're only doing it on a weekly basis, um, you're, you're missing. You're out.
1: Absolutely. I and mean, then this is something where everyone should take a pause and say, hey, we're going to dedicate three hours on a Friday uh, morning to go ahead and research what we should be doing here in terms of backup, whether it's local backup, cloud backup, a mix of both. Uh, this is something that that is definitely a uh, definitely something that can bring your business to its knees. And so you need to pay t- time and attention to it.
0: Sounds like half an hour's cheap insurance based on what can happen. Absolutely. That leads us to number four. There are other things that businesses get swacked by as well. Account takeover, business email compromise. This is a more common one I think, but it can also be devilish to contain and to remedy, can it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is this is a this is a problem for all persons that are involved, especially in financial institutions, financial transactions, real estate transactions. So, what is this and what happens? So, at some point in time, an account is taken over. What does that mean? That could be an email account is taken over, financial account is taken over. In some form or fashion, the cyber criminals are able to compromise an account using your credentials or potentially faking it. And we'll talk about that in a second. And they cause money to move from place one to place two. Usually what ends up happening here is that a client will send an email, uh, maybe to yourself, David, and say, hey, uh, this is Chris, I'm busy doing a lot of travel. I need you to go ahead and send a you know, million dollars from account one to account two. I'm using this new account because I didn't like you know, my experience at the past bank. Can you go ahead and make this happen? Maybe it's a Gmail address or another address, but it's, a, it's just one letter off, or an I is made to look like an L, or an I is changed out for an L. So visually, it looks the same, but it isn't. Sometimes the cyber will actually hijack a real external account. So I'll hijack my, perhaps, Gmail account and go ahead and take over. And they will go ahead and route those emails that are meant for me regarding financial transactions to themselves. They will log into my account and make the emails go from my account to you. But once again, change the routing numbers, but do this all invisibly and imperceptibly behind the scenes. In other more sophisticated attacks, uh, we see you know, instances of cloud-based email you know, Office three sixty five, and it's and it's not necessarily relegated to just, just that, but even the Office uh, and Exchange, Microsoft Exchange, a uh, service taken over and rules put in place that say, hey, if you see a tra- if you see uh, within five words the the words uh, wire and transfer or wire and bank, take this email and send it to us, the bad guys. We're going to intercept it, don't deliver it, and then the bad guys actually take over as me, the real person, communicating Dave with you. And you are none the wiser, right? You get these emails, you think they're from me, you think I want to change bank accounts or do a new real estate deal or whatnot, and maybe you don't follow your protocols, you know, phone call, confirm that it's me, confirm that I really want things transferred. That is a account takeover and business email compromise situation. So once again, the three essential elements are in some form fashion, the cyber criminals are able to send communications to that trusted third party. They're able to go ahead and communicate on behalf of that trusted third party with others and effectuate some type of transfer happening. Usually a money transfer, usually in the midst of a real estate deal or other financial transaction. So that and business email compromise is huge growing crime, especially being targeted in the United States. Those persons that are in the middle of money movement, financial transactions are really ripe for the taking.
0: Wow. Especially since some of those have really got some urgency to them. It's a last-minute thing sometimes with a wire transfer for a close or something, and you got to have it like now so you can get get out of the lawyer's office and and they just comply because they're nice people and they don't follow the protocols, and sure enough, something goes awry. Um, Those are very scary for advisors, by the way. We uh, here at Pinnacle have put uh, a new series of protocols in place to prevent against this, and it can affect a wide range of of your client base, but especially the older clients who aren't as maybe tech-savvy and don't understand that a lot of this has to be done in a certain way, in order to protect them. Oh yeah. What's what's the big fix for all this? I mean, we talked about how that guy takes over an account by pretending it's you. How do we how do we figure out that it's not you?
1: Yeah, I, I like two things here because this is really this is really where the synergy comes together and it's a team effort. First and foremost, making sure that you know, just like you stated with Pinnacle, you have the right policies and procedures in place. You will never accept the email from Chris saying, "Hey, new bank." send the $1 million to this bank as opposed to the one I usually use. You will never do that based off of just an email. You will verify with a phone call. You'll verify with an email response. You'll verify with something that the person knows that's unique to them and have their relationship manager make sure it's the right voice, right person, right demeanor, all the rest. And you will not effectuate that transfer if anybody thinks otherwise. That is massively critically important and can solve a lot of this. What can also solve this on a technology side is dual factor authentication. And the reason being, oftentimes the accounts that are taken over actually have the ability to have dual factor authentication turned on. Now, what is that? So when you actually talk about a, we're going to pick on Gmail for a second. When When you actually log into a Gmail account, you use your username, you use your password. That's one factor, something you know. Dual factor means two factors. So it could be something you know, username, password, and something you have. In many cases, this is a phone, your phone, your phone number, so that when you log in, a special code, six-digit code goes to your phone, and you then type it into Gmail, and it will let you log in. This means that if your username and password become exposed, the bad guys can't log in unless they actually have your phone in that code. Now, there are many more uh, types of dual-factor authentication, or also called two-factor authentication, that are out there, but I'm just going to go with the simplest one of simple text messages and codes. If those are in place, then it's very hard to take over the account, the Gmail account, and very hard to effectuate that cybercrime of sending a request from the legitimate email to the third party, being you in, in my in my hypothetical. And that, those two things, internal policies for the people that are kind of the hub and spoke, like Pinnacle, making sure the right things are in place. And two, making sure the endpoint clients actually have and are using dual factors so that cyber criminals cannot gain access to their account.
0: That, that dual factor stuff is cool. It's so amazing that something so simple can be that powerful. But if you don't have that code, you're not getting in and they won't let you. And it's a pain in the butt to have to go find your phone sometimes, but boy, is it worth it because you, you're sure it's the right person. Which brings me to our next one. Number three, got to watch out who you tell people to. Stolen passwords. What actually happens here? Is it social engineering or is it too many reuses of the same password? Is it too easy to guess or they put on a sticky note on the side of the computer? What's, what's the biggest
1: problem? Well, it's it's D all of the above. Uh, you know, massively all of the above. So the fact of the matter is that we are humans. We choose the path of least resistance, and so we are number one. Uh, we'll give up our passwords. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, we'll give up our passwords. We will mention it to other people, put it on a sticky note, tell other people, or be able to be called and socially engineered out of that password. Fake IT phone calls, etc. Second, password reuse massive with all the different data breaches that are happening over at a target or a home depot or at a medical facility at a, whatever it might be. Uh, we use the same passwords. Those passwords are on the deep and dark web. Think about it this way. The bad alleys, the bad streets that you don't want to walk down at midnight or after midnight, that's where the deep web, dark web, nothing good happens there. Uh, those passwords are being reused. They're being sold. They're being known and people can pick their targets. And they can try to use those and log in. Literally, they have their email address. They have the password. They can try to log in and say, hey, does that person have a Gmail account? Do they have a Yahoo account? Do they have a Netflix? Do they have a you know, Disney Plus account? Uh, when Disney Plus uh, came out just a few months ago, uh, there was the, hey, a lot of free accounts are being uh, offered for sale on the deep web, dark web in terms of access to them. That was all just because of credential stuffing. Basically, taking known username and passwords and trying to log into Disney Plus because did the person use the same password in the same place, in the same location on multiple different services? And the answer is, we're human and we do that. So uh, those are all, and of course, right, easy to guess passwords, one, two, three, four, password one, two, three, four, password one, two, three, four is still the number one password that is out there. You know, putting an exclamation point at the end or capitalizing the the P uh, really doesn't do anything. Um, <laughs> he really doesn't do anything and there are ways to protect against this, but, but stolen passwords, massive, especially with this population. Yeah.
0: It, it, there are thousands of passwords. I think we, we've got another episode coming up, uh, about digital asset, uh, for, for legacy purposes. And when you look at how many accounts are actually out there, if all of them use the same password, you've got your identity spread all over the place. Cause everybody's got lots of assets they're not even aware of. What do we do about this? Is there a way to keep that password safe and still not make us have to remember 50 of them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The best thing to do, and there's a little bit of a learning curve here. This is where this is where friction gets introduced. The best thing to do is use an encrypted password safe. There are a number of them out there that are available, but to use an trusted en- encrypted password safe. That way you remember the one password to enter that safe. And inside that safe are 50 passwords, 100 passwords. You can share this with your spouse or your significant other, loved ones, kids, attorney, lawyers, financial, whatever. You can share this with a good number of people or, or just those specific passwords you want to share with a good number of people. The key to this is as follows. You're not writing down the password so it can't be physically lost, not taped under your keyboard or on your computer. You're not reusing the same passwords. And to the extent you can, you can have the password program pick a random password for you and you will never know what these passwords are. And when you log in on your website, when you log in on your phone or your tablet, um, log in on your computer, you're able to click on the password vault and it automatically fills the password in for you. So once again, you remember one password, that's it. The others are protected. And now you've taken the passwords out of the equation. If one password for nike.com, for target.com is stolen, if it's exposed, doesn't matter as much. You can change that one password because it's unique and your other accounts are protected. You're not using the same password for Home Depot as you are at JP Morgan or Bank of America. You're using different, strong, unique passwords at each location.
0: Wow. The safe actually protects us from ourselves. I love it. <laughs> We're up on a break. When we come back, we'll reveal the last two security challenges and what you can do to take care of them. We'll be right back.
2: Are you an RIA or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice but feel like you could use some help? Feel like there are lots of growth options out there but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Pinnacle Advisor Solutions has the answers you need With a range of outsource options and financial planning support, Pinnacle has a solution that fits your needs, budget, and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice, or put a succession plan in place. For more information or to set up an appointment, call 201-919-4838.
0: And we're back talking to Dr. Chris Pearson. And our next common problem is one that really needs to be remedied quickly, but can be taken care of if you're mindful of what you're doing, insecure wireless networks. Tell us about the weak link in the security chain, Chris.
1: So this one's an interesting one. At everybody's homes, we have wireless devices. Uh, We have a wireless network. Uh, This is one of those things where it's just common sense. You know, Lock your doors at night, deadbolt them, close the sliding glass doors, whatever, turn on the alarm system. We do it physically, but we don't do it electronically. So let's just talk about a few things here. First of all, in terms of your wireless router, make sure you change the password that you need to access the device. Keeping it simple, and there's lots of devices out there and lots of ways into this, but keeping it extremely simple, your device manufacturer has different product guides, quick setup guides for your device. Go back in and take a look at it. Try to log in with the username admin and the password admin, or admin and password, or user and password, if any one of those combinations gets you into the device, you did not change the device from its default password. Change it. Just really, really simple. Change it. Second thing is this: don't necessarily advertise which house you are. Hey, it's a Bill Gates family uh, wireless. Probably a bad idea. If somebody <laughs> wanted to, <laughs> I know uh, If somebody wanted to hack in from the street and they're picking between Larry. Susie's house, Moe's house, and Bill Gates' house, um, I, I think it would be a much better target to hit Bill Gates' house. Don't name your wireless something that identifies who you are in any way, shape, or form. Also, turn on a guest network. Once again, not advertising who you are, turn on a guest network so that your guests don't log into the main wireless network, but they log into the guest network. And finally, the wireless password, look. You don't want it to be 50 characters long because you can we can visualize everyone trying to type that into their Amazon Fire TV or whatever, right? You're not going to get there. Make it something that is different than what you've used elsewhere, has a capital, has an exclamation point, has a wild card character in there, and is not short. Something that is longer is better, you know, uh, words that don't make any sense in a sentence together you know, much better than a short password that is very unique because that could be cracked easier. So the bottom line is get a strong, unique password. Don't share that one with everyone else. Have the guest Wi-Fi have a separate password that you share with others. But it's just a little bit on making sure, look, you lock your doors, you lock your you lock your doors, close garage doors, turn on the alarm at night. Do the same thing with regard to your Wi-Fi. Having you know endpoint security antivirus security and, and on all all your devices and doing other things and password safes none of that's any good if any someone can just sit outside your your home and actually jump into your wireless network it's the same thing as them sitting there on the on the family sofa with you so make sure you take some care to lock that down
0: wow I, the fact that one key opens up all those doors is is really kind of a scary thing and it's so simple to fix If you're take a little time and go in and make sure that that password is a good, strong one and that it actually takes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, this is one of those things where you think about it, you walk around your home, you make sure the door is locked, you make sure everything works, do the same thing with regard to your wireless. It's, it's one hour, one time, once a year where you actually have to go ahead and maybe change it, update it. Um, obviously hopefully updates, you know, happen automatically uh, to your router, But this is one of those kick the tire situations where you can do it right now, spend an hour on it and be much more cyber secure. Now,
0: one thing that scares me is before we secured our Wi-Fi in our house, I remember the neighbor's teenagers piggybacking on it. We didn't find out about it for about three months until we started seeing the bills come. How can you figure this out and find out immediately if if someone's uh, accessed your network?
1: Well, what's great is that uh, um, with more recent routers, they all have been bundled with apps where you can actually see which devices are on your network. Um, So you can do that through one of two means. Usually your router is at the IP address. You can go to a browser. It's 192.168.1.1. So you just literally type that up in your internet browser, 192.168.1.1. A panel will come up. Hopefully, it's not admin and password um, as your as your login, um, but you can actually access the router and see which devices are attached to it. If Mo is Mo's iPad is on there, and you have a, a, you know a group of daughters, um, and Moe's the guy from next door, then you know you have somebody on your on your network. The other is going to be through the app through the app that controls your device, many of them, like the Eero, uh, they have different apps that you can show all the different devices on your network. And very simply, just go down that list of devices and say, hey, who's still on here? And it may be that you didn't have the guest network set up or you you gave the password out to everyone. You can rectify that by changing the password. Right? People will then have to ask for the new password they come in. So there's you know, a little bit of a learning curve. You, of course, got to run around the house and change the TV and the Amazon Fire and the Apple TV and all the rest. But it's a one-time change. It doesn't take too long.
0: Terrific. That sounds like tremendous advice. And it brings us to our number one challenge that we're facing, compliance risks. We've had a compliance discussion on our show before. This is a very specific type of cybersecurity risk that needs to be addressed. Is it affects so many areas of your practice, software selection, repurchase, operational partnerships, vendor selection, financial investments and processes, relationships with the custodians, everything in your back office. It all has to do with being compliant and secure.
1: How do we get both, Chris? Compliance doesn't equal security and security doesn't equal compliance. Um, But, you know, that really doesn't help us in terms of, okay, so what? (laughs) The the resulting uh, impact is this, is that The laws are always going to be behind the times, but they give some general guidance in terms of those things that should be thought about, should be done in terms of achieving better cybersecurity. You know, for many of those, it's the link between the laws and other guidance, such as like the NIST guidance in terms of cybersecurity and cybersecurity controls. Bottom line is this, is that federally we have, uh, you know, some different laws in the U.S., you know, GLBA, HIPAA, uh, that actually prescribe at a high level the types of physical, administrative, uh, and technological uh, controls that must be implemented to provide persons with better cybersecurity and, and that companies have to adhere to. But these are very, very siloed for those fiefdoms of the financial world and the healthcare world. On a state basis, we have a number of different states, Massachusetts, New York, California, Nevada, a number of different states that have individual state laws that require certain types of, once again, administrative, technical, and, and uh, uh, physical controls to protect data, to protect information. Every single company will have to examine where their footprint is, where their customers are, and try to come up with the best controls that actually apply to all of those different areas. There are a number of good resources that are out there, different firms that consult on this in terms of what controls must be implemented, but by and large, especially if you pay attention to the federal guidance, and if you pay attention to NIST. So uh, you will be able to see those controls that you should adhere to in terms of providing better data security, better cybersecurity. The fact of the matter is that a lot of this is, yes, it can be solved technologically, but you have to t- take the time to actually do an assessment and implement those controls and have a little bit of friction. Dual factor authentication adds that two seconds uh, into uh, computer login. Uh, that sometimes causes people too much friction that they don't do it. But once again, those are things, especially in this industry, that you need to take a look at, you need to go ahead and figure out on an assessment basis what we need to do and what needs to be uh, accomplished in terms of legal compliance. But more so what we're talking about is not just compliance and not just security. This is trust. This is goodwill. This is your client base. How do you want your data protected? How do you want to show others that you are protecting their data? It's about your reputation. And the business, I mean, the business, David, that your firm is in, that Pinnacle is in, it's based off of a trusted relationship. That goodwill is incredibly important. And you want to make sure that you have the right level of controls in place to be able to retain and attract that customer and client trust back to the company. A lot of what we've talked about falls into that realm in terms of endpoint antivirus, uh, making sure you have controls to protect against phishing making sure that the Wi-Fi and the network in the office is strong and secure, making sure you've implemented dual-factor authentication, some type of encrypted password safes, and going ahead and analyzing and assessing the network from kind of a penetration test level uh, on a frequent basis. But I mean, a lot of them are also just you know, very, very common sense, making sure you limit access to those who need to know, and you do so in an electronic form, the same way you would way back when with keys into a physical cabinet. So all these are controls that, I mean, in in increasing uh, and increasingly this past year uh, or two with GDRP and now with the California CCPA law coming into effect, these are all controls that are being thrust, especially into this, uh, into the space, into the financial space, and that we all need to be ahead of and stay abreast of in order to provide better cybersecurity.
0: So all the stuff we've talked about all day has to do with compliance and security. And each piece of software and each device in your tech stack, needs to be tested both from a security standpoint and from a compliance standpoint.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and and we mentioned it, you mentioned it. I mean, look, train the human, education, training, Um, you know, that almighty index finger clicking on emails, clicking on phishing emails. That's something that can be addressed, should be addressed. We have to not just implement, you know, policies and say, well, we have all the right policies. We have to, you know, not just implement controls and say we have 10 controls here that stop data exfiltration. We have to also focus in on the human. And the human isn't just, right, the folks at the firm, the folks at the company. The human is the client as well. Hey, don't reply back to us with an email and put your social security number or your tax return on there in an unencrypted fashion. Use our portal right? Help us help you. We sent it to you securely. You went ahead and replied in an insecure manner. So this is, once again, it's a partnership and it's a relationship. And to have both security and compliance, uh, we have to be doing those things.
0: And that trust is key to keeping clients like Pinnacle does every day. There you go. Thanks, Chris. It's been fantastic talking to you. I know I've learned a lot and I'm sure the audience has got more questions than we can possibly believe. We'll address those on -on one-on-one basis and we'll be back shortly. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, appreciate it. We've been speaking with Dr. Chris Pearson of Black Cloak about how to operate your practice's digital aspects in a secure, compliant fashion and protect your company from outside threats. To learn more about Black Cloak, head over to their website at blackcloak.io. That's black, kio for more information and to take their free cybersecurity risk assessment. If you have questions about cybersecurity and how it affects your business or about anything you've heard on this program, drop us a line at 4Advisors at PinnacleAdvisory.com, and we'll get you an answer. You've been listening to 4 Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and until next time, thanks for listening.
2: You're listening to 4 Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the legal intent or nature of Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, in a co-advisory group, or its senior management. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such.